This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. Our top stories. An, ex- an alleged Pfizer executive says the company is intentionally mutating the COVID virus in a lab to create vaccines for possible future variants. That's according to an undercover video. The Virginia teacher shot by a six-year-old student is suing her school district. Her attorney says the tragedy was preventable. Now the school board is taking action. The suspect in the Half Moon Bay killings charged yesterday. Prosecutors say special circumstances may warrant the death sentence, even though California Governor Gavin Newsom put a temporary ban on executions in 2019. The wave of institutions taking steps against TikTok continues to grow. This time, it's the University of Florida that is strongly discouraging its use. A woman from L.A. moves to Poland, buys a horse, and falls in love. Everything was going great until a mysterious illness brought it all crashing down. Find out how she turned things around. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Today is Thursday, January 26th. A new video released last night by Project Veritas says Pfizer is intentionally mutating the COVID virus in a lab using monkeys and so-called directed evolution. Within one hour, the video got a million views. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. Jordan Tristian Walker is an alleged director of research and development at Pfizer. Walker discussed how Pfizer is dealing with the reality that their vaccines aren't as potent against emerging COVID variants. We're exploring, like, now, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can predictably develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, that's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. The alleged Pfizer executive says the information is not something they share with the public and that the public, quote, won't like that. He went on to detail how Pfizer would carry out that kind of experiment, first using animals. The way it would work is like we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them. And then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. The alleged Pfizer executive then describes other ways Pfizer mutates the COVID virus. Well, you're not supposed to do game function research with the viruses, like, yeah. they recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks, because, like, Jesus Christ. Walker then touched upon regulation of the pharma industry. The Veritas journalist asked Walker how he feels about that, quote, revolving door. It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being a regulator, they want to work for the company, then I got to be as hard for the company. You know, we're doing their job. Right. Walker added that whatever happens with new variants, COVID is going to be a cash cow for Pfizer for a while going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. By this morning, that video already has 11 million views. A Food and Drug Administration official has stepped down, citing structural issues within the agency. 
The deputy commissioner of food policy and response informed the FDA commissioner he's resigning effective February 24th. In his resignation letter, Frank Yanis detailed his unhappiness with the decentralized structure of the FDA's food safety program. He said it significantly impaired the FDA's ability to operate as an integrated food team and protect the public. He also proposed the FDA create a more centrally focused food program. Yanis joined the FDA in 2018. He says he told the commissioner last February he had considered leaving because of structural problems at the agency. But he delayed his departure so he and his team could focus on the infant formula crisis, which has now been addressed. A Virginia school board fired its superintendent yesterday. The board is in charge of the school where a six-year-old student shot his teacher, Abigail Zwerner, earlier this month. The move came shortly after the teacher's lawyer announced she's suing the school district. The attorney says the tragedy was preventable. Abby and these other teachers at Richneck Elementary School tried to do the right thing on January 6th, the day of the shooting. On that day, over the course of a few hours, three different times, three times, school administration was warned by concerned teachers and employees that the boy had a gun on him at the school and was threatening people. But had the school administrators acted in the interest of their teachers and their students, Abby would not have sustained a gunshot wound to the chest, a bullet that remains dangerously inside her body. The boy's family says he suffers from an acute disability and was under a care plan at the school. That includes his parents attending school with him and going to class with him every day. They say the week of the shooting was the first time they were not in class with him. An attorney for the alleged shooter's family says the gun had a trigger lock and was kept on the top shelf of the mother's closet. They say the family is praying for the teacher's healing and recovery. Now to California. The suspect in the Half Moon Bay shootings was charged in court yesterday. He was presented with seven counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. He's also facing enhancements, including special circumstance multiple murder. Enhancements can increase penalties if convicted. Prosecutors say it's possible they will seek the death penalty, even though that is rare in California. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the investigation. This investigation is two days old. There's an awful lot more to learn. 66-year-old Chun-Li Zhao was formally charged with premeditated murder on Wednesday. Seven counts of premeditated murder and a single count of attempted murder. Zhao is a Chinese citizen who's lived in the U.S. for at least 10 years. He is being held without bail. He is not a uh, citizen of this country. There's plenty of motive to run. For that reason, it was to me a very straightforward and simple request for no bail. His first court appearance was postponed until February 16th. No plea has been entered. Prosecutors filed enhancement charges in their criminal complaint. They include alleged special circumstances accusing the suspect of personally and intentionally shooting to kill and multiple murder. Multiple murder, what that means under California law is the defendant's punishment, if convicted on these charges, could be life without the possibility of parole or the death penalty. California law declares that defendants convicted of murder with special circumstances can be eligible for the death penalty. But Governor Gavin Newsom declared a temporary ban on executions in 2019. The state has not executed a condemned inmate since 2006. The killings took place at the Mountain Mushroom Farm where Zhao worked and lived, and at Concord Farms about a mile away. 
Prosecutors say they have an idea of the motive, but did not share what it was. The local district attorney says it was not inspired by the Monterey Park shooting two days earlier. Whether this is any evidence of copycat of Monterey Park, and uh, we believe uh, the answer is no. Authorities say early evidence suggests the attack stemmed from a workplace grievance. Community organizers are offering emotional and spiritual support. Prayers are being held and a mass is planned for next week. We understand when things like this happen, there's spiritual battle all around us and good and evil is all around us and it, evil manifests itself in, in things like this. Half Moon Bay is a community of about 12,000 people south of San Francisco. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Facebook and Instagram will reinstate former President Trump's accounts in the coming weeks. That's according to Meta's president of global affairs. He announced the decision yesterday. Facebook, along with Twitter and many other social media platforms, barred Trump soon after the January 6th breach of the U.S. Capitol. They said his posts on January 6th incited violence and posed a risk to public safety. The reinstatement will allow Trump to run campaign ads on his Facebook and Instagram pages, which before the ban had 34 million and 23 million followers respectively. Meta said they didn't speak to Trump about the decision and don't know if he will use his accounts once restored. Previously, Twitter was Trump's social media platform of choice. However, after regaining access to his account, he hasn't posted any new tweets. Trump responded to Meta's decision on Truth Social. He said such a thing should never again happen to a sitting president or anybody else who is not deserving of retribution. The University of Florida strongly advises deleting TikTok from devices. It says there are growing concerns over the security risks it poses. The university says there is a possibility that foreign governments may use TikTok to control data collection and compromise personal gadgets. It adds that TikTok's U.S. privacy policy indicates the company may collect biometric identifiers and biometric information such as face prints and voice prints. The university notes that all federal employees will soon be prohibited from using TikTok on government-issued devices and that 23 states have taken action against TikTok, including Florida. On that topic, Senator Josh Hawley announced Tuesday he would introduce a bill to ban TikTok nationwide. Hawley says the social media app is, quote, China's backdoor into Americans' lives. The senator says it threatens children's privacy as well as their mental health. Now about the war in Ukraine. The U.S. and Germany are sending tanks to the embattled country. This amid reports that Chinese companies are selling military aid to Russia. Here's NTD's Iris Tao with more from the White House. The U.S. agrees to send 31 Abrams battle tanks to Ukraine. Biden's Wednesday announcement reverses months of persistent arguments by his administration that these tanks were too difficult for Ukraine to operate and maintain. Such reluctance now comes to an end. These tanks are further evidence of our enduring, unflagging commitment to Ukraine. It gives them an offensive, uh, mechanized, armored, punching force. The announcement comes right after Germany agreed to send Ukraine dozens of its own Leopard tanks. Together, the two countries mark the first step of a coordinated effort by Western countries to send key dozens of heavy weapons. Putin expected Europe and the United States to weaken our resolve. He expected our support for Ukraine to crumble with time. He was wrong. 
But the new package, which is worth $400 million, also comes amid some lawmakers' concerns that the massive amount of equipment and tax money sent to Ukraine lacks oversight and accountability. And the White House says this. See no indication that anything we've sent over um, has ended up in the wrong hands or has been using or being used inappropriately. Meanwhile, concerns are rising over China's continued support for Russia. The Biden administration has reportedly confronted the Chinese regime with evidence that Chinese state-owned companies are selling non-lethal military aid to Russia. And I asked National Security Spokesperson John Kirby what the U.S. would do about it. Would the U.S. impose stronger measures than just communicate? We certainly have been clear uh, uh, in private settings with Chinese leaders uh, that we don't believe that now is the time for business as usual with Russia. We know they're still buying Russian oil, for instance, um, and um, it's not clear, you know, whether they will abide by the, the cap. Um, but it, this is the time for the international community, and you're seeing so much of it today in this decision to really continue to rally around Ukraine and to make the right decisions. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tau, NTD News. Now that the U.S. and Germany have both committed to sending dozens of tanks to Ukraine, Kyiv is calling the decision a game-changer. But is it? A defense policy expert gives his analysis. Germany says its overall goal is to send two tank battalions, which are typically comprised of three or four smaller units called companies, each with about 14 tanks apiece. The U.S. on Wednesday said it would send 31 of its most advanced battle tanks, the M1 Abrams. Getting those vehicles will improve their ability to take ground, uh, but but it, I, I would be a little cautious about assuming that with them they will conquer the world. M1 Abrams is widely regarded as the single best uh, main battle tank in the world today. Uh, it's been around for a long time, but it's been upgraded repeatedly over the years. Uh, and it has performed in combat against Soviet and Russian made uh, tanks very effectively. Uh, there's every reason to believe that it is a dramatically superior vehicle to the one the Russians are now fielding and to the ones that the Ukrainians are now fielding. While Kyiv has praised the decision, Biddle doesn't expect the latest promised weapons to change the tide of the war. The numbers that the Americans are talking about are not going to be militarily significant in and of themselves. Right. A, a couple of dozen tanks are not going to reverse the battlefield outcome in Ukraine. Uh, hundreds are going to be needed. Now, the, the Leopard 2s uh, can be provided in those kinds of numbers, in part because lots of different European countries operate them. The Leopard 2s are what Germany plans to supply to Ukraine. However, Biddle says the U.S. held back providing Ukraine with the M1 Abrams, initially out of the concern the Ukrainians wouldn't be able to handle the tank's complex logistical needs. There's also another catch. The Biden administration says the Abrams is meant for Ukraine's long-term defense, and it will take months, not weeks, to arrive. That means they likely won't be part of any expected spring offensives to break the deadlock in eastern Ukraine, where German intelligence believes Kyiv's forces are taking casualties in the triple digits every day. Russia commented today on the promised delivery of tanks to Ukraine. They see it's evidence of direct and growing involvement in the conflict from the U.S. and Europe. President Biden says the tanks pose no offensive threats to Russia. 
And just ahead, one person has died and several were injured in a fire that broke out in a Chicago high-rise. Firefighters managed to control the blaze, which spread across nine floors. And Spanish authorities are investigating a machete attack at two churches, calling it a potential terrorist act. At least one person was killed. Stay with us for the details. Welcome back. One person is dead and eight others were injured when a fire broke out at a Chicago high-rise yesterday. Over 300 personnel responded to the incident. The fire started on the 15th floor at around 10 a.m. It spread across several floors, eventually stretching to the 24th level. Out of the nearly 300 apartments in the building, around 270 are occupied, many by elderly people. One resident says she didn't realize it was a fire until her neighbor knocked on her door. They were evacuated afterwards. I live on the 21st floor. I had to walk down 21 flights of stairs, and uh, it was just chaos. I'm a caregiver for a lady in the building, and they wouldn't let me get there to her. So I don't know if she's okay. I don't know what's what with her. That's my concern right now. Out of the people injured is one firefighter. All are reportedly in stable condition. Firefighters managed to control the blaze by around 12.30 p.m. The cause of the fire remains under investigation. Road crews in the Detroit area were on high alert yesterday. That's after a blizzard hit and dumped close to a half a foot of snow. This storm alone that we're talking about today could very well be, if it's enough, could very well be a multi-day event for us. Today we will roughly clear on one regular pass, we'll clear roughly just under 5,000 lane miles of roadway. This is one of the first big snowfalls we've had. Um, this snowfall poses a, a, a concern from the aspect that it's a, a wet, heavy snow versus a lighter snow. Officials say equipment will be at the ready to make sure the roads are clear and safe for travel throughout the county. Local authorities are bracing themselves for several days of hard work as more snow is forecast this week and into the weekend. Temperatures are expected not to reach beyond the 20s. A further drop in temperatures is forecast for Sunday. The long-delayed new terminal Grand Central Madison in Manhattan officially opened to the public yesterday. Let's take a look inside the first major train terminal to be built in the U.S. in 67 years. As the first passenger train pulls in at the 700,000 square foot terminal, located below the current rail hub. Welcome to Grand Central Madison. Please watch your step. Welcome to the east side of Manhattan. This project is part of the first Long Island Railroad expansion since Penn Station opened more than 112 years ago. Starting January 25th, shuttle service will run with only one or two trains per hour. Full service will launch in at least three weeks. By then, up to 24 trains will serve the new station per hour. It's great. What's the best, awesome. what's the best thing about it? 40 minute less commute. <laughs> the project will give Long Island and Queens residents access to the east side. The $12 billion project took around 15 years, and it was plagued by major cost overruns and delays. The goal of the project is to divert some passengers from the overcrowded Pennsylvania station on the west side to Grand Central. 
A potential terrorist attack in Spain. Authorities are investigating a machete attack at two churches. At least one person was killed. Here are the details. A machete-wielding man attacked several people at two churches in southern Spain on Wednesday. At least one person was killed in the attack, which took place in the port city of Algeciras. Clergymen at two different churches, about 1,000 feet from each other, were targeted. The man who was killed was Diego Valencia, a sacristan at the Nuestra Señora de la Palma church. Spanish authorities said they were investigating what they called a possible terrorist incident. Police said the attacker had been arrested, and a police source shared footage of a man in a hooded jumper and handcuffs being walked through a police station. Police have not released details of his name or nationality. Local media said he was a 25-year-old Moroccan. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez expressed his condolences to the victims, while the Secretary-General of Spain's Episcopal Conference, Francisco Garcia, spoke of his great pain on hearing the news. India's Republic Day Parade today featured the Corps of Signals motorcycle display team, better known as the Daredevils. It saw motorcyclists perform daredevil acrobatic formations, including human pyramids, spinning, twirling, and standing on ladders. The parade was attended by Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the President of Egypt, who was there on an official state visit. It also showcased the Indian military's missiles, tanks, and jets. India won independence from British rule in 1947, but it was not declared a sovereign republic state until 1950, when it adopted its constitution. And coming up, the woman was on top of the world before a mysterious illness brought everything crashing down. Find out how a change in her thinking and a kind hand helped turn things around after the break. Good to have you back with us. When the going gets tough, the tough stay. That's what a California woman experienced with her new partner. We have the story of how she overcomes hardships and stays positive after getting what she called a mysterious illness. Kasia Bukowska left LA to buy a horse in Poland. She was thriving there, a university graduate who was competing as an equestrian. But everything was about to take a dramatic turn for the worse. Kasia suddenly became very ill. I had swelling on all parts of my body, everywhere where you can think of, there's a joint um, that was swollen. So including my face, my jaw, everything was swollen. The timing was especially bad. She had just fallen in love with a Polish policeman named Camille. Um, That was very, very difficult. Um, We had only known each other for about three months. (laughs) We had been dating, which isn't very long. Cassia was soon bed-bound and completely dependent. In her pain, she asked her police officer boyfriend to leave, but Camille refused. But he just kept showing up and being there um, and even staying outside my door in a chair. And when the hospital staff asked him to go home as visiting hours were over? He stood up and he's like, I am the police. (laughs) And he wouldn't leave my side and they ended up uh, letting him stay there. For me, him not leaving my side just proved to me how much he deeply loved me and unconditionally. Getting a diagnosis would prove difficult at first. It would take nine months, four hospitals, and over 20 doctors across two countries. By that time, Casillas says she was a stiff, swollen vegetable that needed full-time care. 
Desperate, Casilla returned to her mother in L.A. She was admitted to a hospital where she finally got a diagnosis, lupus and fibromyalgia. The doctors said there was no cure and she would never ride horses again. Casilla returned to Poland and fell into a deep depression. But Camille helped Casilla keep hope alive. He promised me he would build me a barn. He said he would build me a barn behind his family home. Then you'll be in a wheelchair and you'll wheel out and your job will be giving them carrots. His love and compassion opened up a light and a curiosity inside of Casilla and she started to find an outlet and a way to stay positive. My perspective on my illness um, changed how hard I was fighting to overcome it. Today, Casilla lives in her dream barn behind Camille's family home in the Polish countryside, married to the man of her dreams. She finally got that shire plus five more horses. The challenges have made her a whole new person, a professional equine and pet portrait painter. It's a journey where she discovered her resilience and the true meaning of where there's a will, there's a way. That's all for today's program. You can write us an email at goodmorning at ntd.com to share your stories with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Kevin Hogan.